Dave and Bacon Safety Tales, the only industrial safety podcast that brings you common sense advice on job site safety, standards, regulations, and industry best practices without putting you to sleep. Welcome, everybody. Dave and Bacon Safety Tales. This is the podcast. My name's Fred. I'm the I'm the semi-narrator host of this podcast. I'll be tossing over to Dave. He's gonna be the uh, the uh, meat and potatoes of the podcast. Yeah, um, meat and potatoes. I mean, take a look at me. Come on, man. Yep. I'm more of the the lean cuisine of the podcast, where he's more of the meat and the potatoes. But uh, um, yeah, so I'm Fred once again. I will be uh, kind of the the younger aspect of this, the lighter weight aspect. Um, <laughs> well, uh, we, we definitely have some, some goals of the podcast to hopefully entertain and educate a little bit. Um, but I got about five years in the industry, uh, strictly selling safety products. Uh, Dave's got a little bit more vast history, so we'll kind of lean on him for some of the, uh, uh, some of the good stuff. But, uh, Dave, why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, my name is Dave White. Uh, obviously, been in the industry for over 20 years and basically we're kind of trying to solve the uh well we're trying to solve the midwest safety problems and united states safety problems you know one at a time uh really through personal protective equipment because obviously if you need stuff that we offer sell or advise on you cannot engineer outset hazard so you know the goal again is to kind of get everybody involved, uh, answer questions that are coming up from our, our customers, and you, the listener, hopefully you get involved and let us know, and and hopefully we can kind of get towards a, a better workplace because, again, the goal, you know, everybody hates to get up and go to work, but it really would suck to expire there and not kind of go home and do the things that you love. Yeah, I think we listened to some uh, some other podcasts out there they're probably a little bit drier than than we're going to be where they maybe uh take a look at some statistics and uh some of the boring stuff that we'll probably gloss over might not get everything right but hopefully we'll have a little bit of entertainment in there so uh so today this is episode number two we're going to dive into probably the biggest one of the biggest safety issues that contractors are facing today and that's fall protection there are a lot of moving parts involved and it can really be scary stuff there's a ton of horror stories out there hopefully we'll be able to to help you learn how to avoid becoming one of these stories so so every week we're going to try and use a story um and so we'll have it kind of based around a topic but We'll kind of BS back and forth in and out of that topic, so uh, so hopefully you'll stick with us. But Dave, why don't you go with your uh, with your story for today? So you know the uh, story that uh, kind of I grew up with in fall protection centered around tobacco barns. Obviously, I grew up in Kentucky, as you can tell based on my accent. Obviously, I'm not uh, your true Iowan or Midwesterner. I'm, kind of from the southeast and you know tobacco is a big pro you know big big agriculture product down south and tobacco is something that uh, has a lot of manual processes in it and what a lot of people don't realize is that the end product really ends up in a barn 
And so kind of the goal of what we're talking about today is kind of look backwards. And when we talk about a tobacco barn, a tobacco barn, you know, is, is nothing more than any traditional barn that you would see. But, you know, they have rafters that are situated and nothing's really tied down. So tobacco, after you cut it, goes basically to a tobacco stick, which is multiple pieces of the plant. And tobacco is a, a larger plant, so a tobacco plant could about probably four and a half, five foot tall after you cut it, placing it on a stick, multiple plants per stick. So you're talking about a little bit of weight that's then moved to the barn through a scaffold wagon. A scaffold wagon is nothing more than this metal pole truck that these tobacco sticks go on and you move it to the tobacco barn. Well, that's where it gets real funny because we're talking about a barn, obviously, like I said, and we have to pass these sticks up and in the rafters we have uh, poles that we're putting the sticks across that are not nailed down to anything. And what, uh, you know, after I got in the industry, I kind of laughed looking backwards is, you know, most of the time we're trying to figure out how to do a PFAS, personal fall arrest system, which is, uh, is a Anchorage bodywear connecting device. And all we basically did was use a piece of rope that we tied somewhere in the barn rafters and it was not uncommon to just kind of wrap it around your wrist. So when you fail, you at least kind of maybe pull your shoulder out versus actually going after something that's, you know, tested and engineered. Um, so, you know, that's kind of the story looking backward is that wasn't too long ago. I was born in 74, so, I mean, we're not talking ancient, you know, ancient history with, you know, Romans and chariots running around. We're talking about, you know, I think, yeah, everything was color TV. So we're talking color TV and the fact that fall protection was nothing more than a rope to a rafter to a wrist. And hopefully you didn't hit the ground. Tobacco barns, huh? Yeah. All right. Most people don't realize there's multiple different types of tobacco and air cured and fire cured, but all my folks from Kentucky and Tennessee are recognized. Yeah, I barely have any idea what you're talking about. I was listening. You kind of go back and forth, and I was thinking, chlorophyll? More like borophyll. Um, you don't know that. Billy Madison, no? Oh, uh, yeah. Picking up on what I'm putting uh, down? I did that. All right, so you wanted to chat a little bit about why you may need your head examined if you're not wearing fall protection. So did you want to get into some of the risk factors? Well, what's, you know, the biggest risk is what? Gravity. Right. No, it's something that, you know, being, you know, as you kind of adhered to earlier, being kind of a chubby guy, you know, I, you know, we're going to fall at the same rates of speed, but when I hit, obviously, a different, uh, different weight, or mass ratio, I'm going to hit a little bit harder than you are. Yeah, kind of, plus I'm super athletic, so I uh, always land on my feet. I, I wouldn't go super athletic. All right, well. Kind of well, a cheesy-looking white guy. Agree to, dis- agree to disagree. You could you could probably out-jump me a little bit. Nope. Dave, you had mentioned to me earlier that uh, leading edge was really kind of a new thing that was happening with uh, really fall protection as a whole, but I think specifically talking a lot about your retractables, um, and some of that stuff. So 
first of all, what is leading edge specific equipment? Like, what is a leading edge? I guess we need to start. Well, what we, is a leading edge, and then what specific really equipment? Over, they, they really try to overthink when they they look at the word leading edge. A leading edge is I walk up to a ninety degree angle, and the other side of the angle is going straight towards the earth. So. Um, if I'm walking on a roof and I get to the edge of the roof, I'm working on a leading edge. It may be a floor above another floor, and I walk to the edge of that and I can see down, I'm looking at a leading edge. And again, edge being that I'm stepping over something that if I step over that, gravity's going to take me crashing to my death. Um, Leading edge in fall protection is a little different because uh, a lot of times when we're looking at uh, combating falls, we're looking at a personal fall arrest system, which again is com a component-driven system. And when we say what are the components, we think of A, B, C, and D. So A being our anchorage. So anchorage is what how to say we're kind of tethering to to make sure that we don't fall. So if I'm thinking about a woman at the fair and her kid running around that has one of those dog collar, uh, you know, back, it's usually like a monkey backpack with a string that's tied to the mother. Yeah, we got one of those giraffe, giraffe with a little thing on it. Never had to use it, fortunately, but, but, but you, you see the kid. Saying, but at that point in time, mom becomes A, the anchorage point. Okay. Well, B is the little monkey, or what What did what did you say? The uh, giraffe. The giraffe. So, so B being the body where it is the giraffe. And C being the connecting knife is obviously the string from the giraffe backpack back to mom. So as child runs off, kind of hits hits the end of it. So personal fall arrest system, PFAS, ABC would be giraffe, mother, and string between giraffe and mother. Okay. But what you were saying a little bit was like specifically to leading edge – you said 90 degree angle. That's not necessarily the case, correct? So, like, a roof doesn't have to be at a 90 degree angle when you fall off. That of doesn't necessarily, but where it's different is a lot of times when we're talking about falls, we're talking about an anchor point that's directly, we want the fall, uh, the anchor point to be directly above us, if okay. at all possible. Well, in a um, leading edge situation, there's typically nothing over the top of us. Unless we get a sky hook or one of, you know, the guy that makes the Tesla comes out with a drone that can become an anchor point that will float above us. Right. But we're, we're, again, we have no place to put the anchor point that is above where the dorsal D-ring or in case of the giraffe backpack thing is between the shoulder blades. Um we can't put the anchor point above that. So the anchor point being at typically feet or below our dorsal D is where that ends up being. So would that always be the case though? Like if you had the anchor point above you, but you're working with say a 30 foot retractable 
and you're at the extent and you still can come near a leading edge, even if it's above you, you would still need some. Yes, theoretically, yeah, theoretically, that point point made is yes, the anchor point could be above your dorsal D, and you could say have an SRL where I'm walking out ten paces, yeah, and the leading edge occurs, and I could go over the in quote right angle and and uh, start to fall better. Okay. But like, so how much are you still seeing? I mean, I know I see a lot of times you still drive by and see roofers up there working two, three man applications that they're working. Nobody's wearing a harness. Nobody's wearing anything. They're up there doing shingles just to get the job done quickly. And so, what has has there really been a crackdown kind of on what those guys have to do, or is that something that people kind of stay away from? Well, you know, part of it gets into what's the pitch of the roof. Um, OSHA's come out a number of times and tried to do a, in quote, residential roof standard. Uh, but in residential roofing, it's... it's, it's uh, Still the Wild West a little bit? Yeah, it's way Wild West. And it's, and it's uh, unfortunately, it's, it's how a lot of people get hurt because, you know, yeah. your typical residential roof with asphalt shingles with enough pitch, I mean... You're still you go off the edge of it. Yeah, it's not it's not really that high, but uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, if I fell 12, 12, 15 feet, I'm not going to fare too well. No, yeah, I know. I I did uh, st- installed satellite dishes for a summer. I know we weren't wearing. This is six seven years ago, and we weren't wearing anything when we got up there. So you climb up to a ladder onto someone's basically mansion, install their satellite dish, you know, two feet from their gutter. It would have taken one little you're, trip on my shoelace. But you're seeing a lot of the commercial roof installers where a lot of these, uh, we'll say, uh, installers of residential roofs are not uh, large conglomerate companies. Yeah. So the, the, you'll see more satellite dishes are being put on the ground because the installers of satellite dishes aren't able to climb ladders get on a roof because there's no anchor point okay and so they're not allowing them to do that oh you're seeing a lot you're seeing a lot of them that will not get on the roof because there's no anchor point there's no way for them to get on the roof and and install that so you'll see more and more people are pouring little small pads on the side of houses and pointing them up versus mounting them on the rooftop yeah that was the one thing they always would tell us is you, you have to have line of sight so the roof was always the easiest spot to get line of sight when there's a shit ton of trees that are yeah, blocking their way. Absolutely, but who wants a shitty, you know, satellite dish in their yard yeah. that their kids can bang the lawnmower oh, into yeah. when they're I mean, going it's, by? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's ludicrous, but uh, you will continue to see that. I mean, the problem is, is there's 101 products that the, the residential uh, customer can have installed when he's building the house or the next time he has the roof replaced, which would then give that person the ability to, to, to utilize the anchor point, but that's that's probably not going to happen. Yeah, it reminds me of one of the guys I worked with. We called him the Wits. <coughs> is, uh, for his, I think it was his last name. But anyways, he was the Wits, and uh, he would do all – there'd be all pole mounts or all side mounts to the house, and that was – he was – I mean, he made you look like – uh, a young Tom Hanks. Okay, so he, right. he was a big boy. Yeah. They, he had to have a special ladder. Probably. So he wasn't like Tom ha- Hanks, like <laughs> cast away like at the end of it. Custom, custom made. No, 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 no. 
more of a Danny DeVito build. Okay, but, right on. But uh, I'm taller than Danny. DeVito. Yeah, you're tall. Yeah, tall. He's short, husky boy. But yeah, right. he would always do. It was because he he's like big boys don't get up that high on the ground. <laughs> so he he'd climb. He'd get that ladder. He'd get about four or five feet in the ground. And you'd see. You'd go by a lot of his jobs that he did when he installed the satellite dish. And you'd be like. Why is that satellite dish sticking like eight feet out of the side of those, that guy's house and not on the roof when there's an obvious spot you could put it on the roof? You'd be like, who did this job? The Wits. The Wits for yeah. sure did this yeah. job. Um, all right, well, what do you got for uh, some tips on how to wear fall protection the correct way? Uh, what do you think? You know, again, when you talk about fall protection, it's a system that's designed... And it gets into... Because we, we see it a ton the wrong way. Oh, yeah. Well, it's kind of, you know, the first thing is your your body wear. You know, you usually show up to a site and you walk around and, and easily you're laughing real quickly because, number one, it's, you know, it's, uh, you got the kind of the pants on the ground, thug. I'm wearing my harness, thug, right. And it's, it's, it's hanging down. So the first thing is typically the leg straps is the biggest issue. And leg straps should be kind of worn tight. Uh, I mean, not so tight that you're cutting off, you know, you're constricting, but, you know, a couple finger, fingers in, in between the, uh, the webbing there. Um, the chest strap, you should be able to roll your fist in it, but it should be, again, snug into the body. Just like you shouldn't wear it over, you know, you shouldn't wear a harness over a bunch of clothing because, again, it's a system that's designed and tested to limit fall resting forces to very uh, specific uh, amounts as related to you know ants or OSHA. Yeah, isn't that something that like I know we see it a lot with like winter coats that a guy will have on a big bulky parka, his harness is over on the top of it, and they'll actually request, oh, I need a two XL harness for winter instead of my XL harness that I normally wear. Where like that's like a that's like a major yeah, a major no no. It's a no no because again when you fall. It's it's uh, it creates force, and that force where it hits is you know the, again, body wear is designed to put that fall resting force kind of down into larger muscle masses, meaning your glutes and um, your quads and kind of you know your crotch area, a better way to put it. Ass too, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's glutes. I mean, oh yeah. Sorry, I mean muscle. medical term for ass. Got yeah. it. Yeah. So. So you're trying to put a lot of that fall resting force into those larger areas. And the problem is, is the bigger shock that you have, anytime your body experiences a shock, uh, it's almost the bruising effect. So it causes blood to want to run there. And big problem, femoral artery kind of runs, you know, by, beside your crotch. And then you're putting a lot of uh, arresting forces on there. Which then can, you know, it leads to a whole different set of issues, whether it's uh, the $90 word static intolerance, which is basically, uh, uh, or excuse me, orthostatic intolerance, which is suspension trauma is the, the, the cheapened word, which yeah. is... Um, so I don't like any pressure on my crotch that isn't there deliberately. No, yeah. well, I mean, it, yeah, it's a double-edged sword but in that situation it's not the edge of the sword that you would probably prefer to have right so uh what about like relief straps as a way to do it i know i had on there that would give a a tip for 
for saving yourself with those relief straps yeah. that you got. What's your opinion on those? Um, the rule of thumb is most people... And maybe explain what a relief strap is oh, relief first. Strap I don't know if that's is, something that everybody knows uh, or not. Different brands kind of have different configurations up for them. But a relief strap is basically something that attaches to the harness that gives you the ability to step into and then through pressure kind of stand up and again as we talked about that formal artery it gives it the ability to kind of move blood what around what kind of artery was that from oral all right got it yeah uh, the artery that goes by the femur <laughs> I, I guess i mean i'm not by no means a, a scientist <laughs> Um, but long, it gets into standing up and taking pressure off of the straps. That you know you've 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 fallen. If you've fallen on a you know six foot lanyard, you're about about ten twelve feet from where you started out. You've hit. And you're kind of you don't you know you're probably seeing a little bit of stars. It's it's not it's not like you got hit by a car, but there's still some force there. And you need to give yourself some relief because, like we said, kind of that bruising effect comes in, meaning blood rushing to there. So you're freaked out. Yeah. You, you've fallen. Now you have the fact that you have a bona fide tourniquet on your crotch. Right. And you need to kind of do something to kind of give yourself a little bit of uh, a little break there because your heart starts to kind of work a little bit harder because again blood's rushing to the wrong place you have a tourniquet holding blood there right and let's say you're kind of you know you kind of i'm kind of a doughy gelatinous guy you know i'm uh, a little bit bigger than i should be but you know i'll say uh, well i mean a few too many buffets that probably (laughs) towards the bud light towards the budweiser but things are what they are yeah and uh, you know with that said, um, what? So, isn't I mean, really, it's even more important for those situations where there's a good chance rescue's not coming anytime soon. Like, well, who the hell has a good rescue program? Right. I mean, we walk in. Uh, you know as well as I do. We walk in a place after place, and we, you know, we sell them all. Somebody the call nine one one. Yeah, yeah. You, so you got somebody running through your element, and you go, "Well, what's the response time?" Well, a lot of times, these places we're calling on are in the middle of a cornfield, 27 right. cornfields from the nearest city. Yeah. Who the hell's going? Who the hell's going to figure that out? Not to mention the person that responds, they've never been there. So the first thing they got to do is they got to go. Well, where's the guy at? Trot, 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 trot. Oh man, we're gonna have to figure out how to get him <laughs> down. And you, you know, got to call backup for this one. Yeah. So, yeah, so all of a sudden they're like, oh, we can't get a helicopter in here and get him out. Don't have a, you know, we don't have a ladder that tall. So, yeah, it's the whole time the guy's sitting there. So it's kind of, it buys you a little bit of time. And that can be 15 minutes. That's easy. And then, but some guys are up there, what, 30 minutes, an hour? Can be. Yeah. So, I mean, that can turn into a real disaster. So. Well, you sit there and you look at somebody like myself, again, Approaching my mid-40s, a little heavier than I should be. Probably should have laid off the salt this morning. You know, you're looking a little pu- you're looking a little puffy. Oh, yeah, I'm telling you. Yeah, right? A little doughy is like I, I like to, to put it. 
Okay. Um, I'm not sure. So, do you want to do your terrible ending fall protection story? Do you want to go with well, it? You know, we can always edit it out if we need to. Okay, I mean, we talk about fall protection all the time, and, and a lot of times it comes with these horror stories that people tell. And the worst story that I ever heard, and this is 20 years talking to people about fall protection, <laughs> it starts with, so the guy falls. And this one is uh, one where he falls in an elevator and he gets caught in the counterweights. And, you know, as I sit there listening to this, I'm, I'm, I'm almost distraught like, so we're talking no fall protection here in this circumstance? Fall protection, but when he fell, somehow he ended up falling into the counterweight system of an elevator. So he's caught up within this, and somehow they have to do a rescue. Oh. And whether the story is true or not, I don't know, but the guy had me literally just... I, I was completely bought in. I mean, I was... I was <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean... Hook, line, and sinker. Yes, I was literally... This is an episode of Law and Order. Waiting for the end. And um, they got him caught in the counterweight system, so they, they, they get him rigged up, and they've got him finally released from the counterweight system. Well, in Rescue, one of the lines is, never cut, never cut a rope. Well, they cut a rope. They accidentally uh, cut the wrong, the wrong one. So he goes from being rescued to falling the rest of the way down the elevator shaft. At the bottom of the elevator shaft, crashed through that, ends up in a pool that was below that elevator shaft, and drowns. So the worst fall that I ever heard, didn't he didn't die necessarily from the fall. He basically died... Uh, from asphyxiation through drowning. Jesus Christ. So they're they're watching him go down. They're looking at him. Oh, no. <laughs> like, it's like a series of... It's like, how many times can you say no as somebody dies? Yeah. No! Oh, we got him. No! <laughs> they're like, all of a sudden, he gets caught up in the thing. Like, oh, God, let's get him rescued. They rescue him. Yeah. And all of a sudden, they're like, all right, cut him free. Cut him free. Oh, no, he cut the rope. Now he's going down. He hits the ceiling. Oh, thank God for the ceiling. I'll stop him. Straight through the ceiling. Oh, he's going to land in the water. Thank God. Oh, he drowned. He's not. He's no longer with us. That's it, that's terrible. But you sit there and you go, these are, this stuff happens. I mean, whether that's a true or false story. Yeah. You hear about this stuff happening every day, and the bad thing is, there's probably a lot of truth to it in the fact that, you know, there were a lot of mistakes made, and the mistake could have been negated whether it was through proper use of equipment, controls, uh, you know, a good rescue plan. There's, there's, you know, in that bad situation, there's a number of ways there could have been a good outcome. And still, shit can happen. Like they cut the wrong rope. Oh yeah. You know, you got that, but again, that get, becomes bad training, bad you know, bad practice. So, right. You know, sometimes we can set out with the goals of uh, absolute glory and safety. You know, I'm going to march off in the morning. I'm marching back home, and at the end of the day, well, that still didn't work out very well. Good story. All right, now we're going to move on. We're going to do our our favorite segment called Dumbass of the Week. It's the Dumbass of the 
So, fictional character. This guy doesn't actually exist. He might exist, but we at least changed his name. Let's call this trust guy... Trust me, trust me. He exists. Yeah, but Larry, quote-unquote Larry, yeah, yeah, that we're going to yeah. call this guy... Larry does not ass. exist, but this guy definitely exists. All right, so first off, what did Larry do? So... What did Larry do? Larry is one of these guys that sits there and has decided that uh, he doesn't like personal protective equipment. Why? Well, he's one of these dumbasses that, uh, again, at some point in time, he actually utilized the equipment. And utilizing the Good equipment... Good for Larry. Yeah, Good for Larry. Yeah. But utilizing the equipment, he didn't have the exact experience that he wanted. And this is sitting, this is again sitting at a conference at some point in time during my exposure to all this stuff. Talking to this guy and he's like, yeah, fall protection, not wearing that stuff anymore. You know, I kind of looked at him and I go, uh... Larry, why not? Yeah, basically. And he's like, well, you know, it was probably about 10 years ago had fall protection on and I was super mad. I'm like, oh, I had a swing fall incident, huh? Yep. Never wear that stuff again. <laughs> I'm, uh, so I'm like, so, well, what happened? Well, we were working about 130 foot, and, you know, I went to fall, and anchor point wasn't right, and I hit, and it kind of messed up my shoulder, and I still got a problem with my shoulder. And, uh, you know, that fall protection stuff, that's bullshit. I'm like... Well, you said that you were locked up over 100 foot. Yeah, what was, what was the alternative? <laughs> He's like, yeah, but man, crashed into that. that that's just that's crap. To, so, you know, Jesus, yeah, Larry. Yeah. So when they try to put me into that, I don't, I don't want that to happen anymore. So I just don't do that. And literally, this is unbelievable as that sounds. I mean, I sat there and witnessed that. This guy, you know, adamant that the fact that. He didn't fall to his death. He was not going to wear fall protection anymore based on that. So Larry is a dumbass. <laughs> I'll say Larry is a dumbass. So normally we try to wrap this up with what should Larry have done differently? But in this case, it's a... Well, but where, but there, there is stuff that Larry could have done differently. Okay. And part of it is, let's go back into when we were talking about... Um, you know, fall protection, part of it is that anchor point. Well, obviously, Larry the dumbass did not have his anchor point situated where it should have been. So, again, in a perfect world, an anchor point is directly above our head. So when we fall, we fall down until the connecting device uh, stops us. And whether that's an SRL or whether it's a lanyard, it basically slows us down or stops us before we hit the grade below. Well, obviously Larry did not pay attention to the fact that he had gone off of center. So again, so if uh, anchor points directly above us and we walk 30 feet to the right and then we fall over that edge, well, we've, we're gonna fall directly down, but gravity is gonna bring us Back towards that anchor point, but doesn't, thirty feet back. So we're we're swinging, we're supermaning. So doesn't but doesn't sometimes the work is going to dictate 
that they're working 30 feet out? Like, or is there a solution, like, for something that they should be doing? I mean, even if it's 15 feet out, if it's 10 feet out, you're still going to be able to get some swing fall. But you're always going to, anytime you're off center, you're going to have swing fall. And there is how, again, is the anchor point 10 feet above you, directly above you? So again, that's all gonna that's all gonna change, you know, your calculations of what the actual swing is. Uh, the other one, Larry the dumbass should have realized is, hey, I'm swinging back towards a concrete wall, you know. So you gotta you really gotta think about, you know, if I were to fall and I'm gonna have swing fall, is there a meat grinding machine to my left that if I <laughs> fall I'm gonna have going into it? You know, you really pay attention to shit like that. Yeah, I think it's. I'm, I'm trying to think of what it is. Oh, He Man, in the movie He Man with Dolph Lundgren. Okay. You don't remember that? Uh, you know Dolph Lundgren at yeah, least. I remember Dolph. Right. Well, yeah. Dolph Lundgren was He Man. They did same, like a same back or bad like Rocky character, wasn't he? Right. He's yeah. Ivan Drago. Oh, I, I will break you. Yeah, there you go. So Dolph Lundgren was He Man. I don't remember. So he's the star. He was actually He Man. It's like a live action He Man. He'd look like he'd be a small He Man. Dolph Lundgren? He's a monster. <laughs> Don't you was, remember Stallone versus well, Dolph Lundgren? That was the whole thing. Was like he's yeah, but two feet I taller. Know, I will break you, but I mean, uh, oh, he's by a the monster. power of Grayskull, I mean, I remember that like as a cartoon. He was like a like a he crazy d- big guy. Well, he's but this is a human. They had to find some human to portray. Uh, okay, portray I'm going him after the cartoon character. Yeah, there's usually you know, human humans. Human so, humans? Yeah, he's actually a human. Homo sapien. Yeah, right. homo sapien. So, but no, Dolph Lundgren is a monster. I'll I'll show you some shirtless pics I have saved on my phone. <laughs> <today>. <laughs> you got more than one. <laughs> if you'd like to see some shirtless, <laughs> muscular Dolph Lundgren, what a beefcake. Anyways, so at the very end of He-Man, spoiler alert, this thing came out in like 1987. Okay. So if you haven't seen it yet, your time's passed. I'll spoil it yeah, for you. Yeah. But he kicks Skeletor off, off the ledge, and Skeletor is all of a sudden falling backwards, moving his arms and his legs in that real dramatic fashion, going into like this pit of lava. Okay. So that leads me to believe you might be swinging, but you might swing right into Skeletor's pit of lava. Yeah, you gotta be looking out for that shit. Meat grinder pit of lava. I I got you. Same difference. Yeah. I like to crowbar in my uh, man crushes there on six year old Dolph Lundgren there you go so anyways so Larry could have done some things differently but in the end Larry's a dumbass correct alright fair enough so what do we got this week uh, let's comb through some email so on a weekly basis we are going to try and answer some questions um, if you'd like to reach out to me it's just fred at quadcitysafety.com just put podcast in the subject of the email. You can reach out on our Facebook page um, at Quad City Safety, Twitter, LinkedIn. It's all at Quad City Safety. If you want to use the hashtag Safety Tales, the podcast once again is Dave and Bacon Safety Tales. I guess we didn't really explain who Bacon was. Bacon is our uh, is our mascot. He's our pig. He's our pig. So save you some bacon. Don't you have like a MySpace page or something like that? My with my eight friends. Yeah, something like that. I had a I had a MySpace page. Did you have a MySpace page? Never had a MySpace page. You didn't. No. The cool thing about MySpace and what none of these new uh, social media apps have kind of captured was 
not only did you have your like your top eight, so you could tell everyone who your, your best top eight. That's what it was, like your best eight friends. It's uh, so like your girl better be number one. Or then, your your then, guy, then your, your, bros. Guy, your guy could be number one, and then it's your best next like seven bros after that. Okay. If you had another girl in there, then girl number one is gonna be pretty skeptical. So it had to be hoes before bros. <laughs> it had to be ho before bros, yeah, yeah, yeah. but then it had to be bros before other hoes. <laughs> okay, I guess. So <laughs> that was the that was the thing. It'd be like so. My my now wife at the time was my girlfriend would be in my she'd be number one in my top eight, but yeah you you click on all their profiles you add your other homies to your top eight you get some jealousy of why am I not in your top eight man I thought we were friends I thought we were close uh, I thought Facebook was complicated nah MySpace was probably a little bit simpler it just had a wall it didn't have all the advertisement and all that type of stuff that are going into it like all the ads people weren't sharing all that stuff it was literally like hey marcy what's going on how are you doing marcy also it was like the old lady in that one commercial you btf like, this is all my this is all my wall yes that's not how that works that's not how any of this works <laughs> but the coolest aspect that i thought about myspace was that you could have your song it was like a song, so like all of a sudden you click. So like you're like your WWE entry music or something. It like could that. be that, yeah. Or you're like a fighter. It's like I click Fred's profile, and all of a sudden like Gin and Juice comes on. That thought, was yours, huh? I don't remember what mine was. I had okay. some varying one. This was like Late 15, 15 years ago ish, maybe not quite that long ago. So well, yeah, I was in my. I, I feel like I was early twenties in that, so it it's changed a little bit, but. Anyways, back into it. So email, reach out to us. Uh, you can use that hashtag if you want to. Uh, safety tales. Once again, Facebook, Twitter, Our LinkedIn. Fax number is five six three four four five two one seven zero. So if you if, fax us, yeah, yeah, you can fax, you can fax bacon. Bacon yeah. loves getting a fax. Oh, for God's sake, don't fax us. <laughs> Otherwise, someone, other, some salesperson will be rushing there to see what hot thing came across on the fax machine today that I can follow up on. Right on. Because it's 2005. Anyways, back to emails. So emails. Dave, is a dump bottle good enough for my eyewash system? Uh, or eyewash program, I guess it says. Yeah, Sorry. Really? No. I mean, it seems like everywhere you go, they have these... One and two bottle dump station. It'll be a 16 ounce. It'll be a 32 ounce bottle. And the problem is when you actually kind of dig into the standards, is you got to have a continuous means. So not often do you get something in your eye to where you know if you're really worried about whether it's particular chemical or whatever you're around. Usually, if I you know it'd be like, I mean, why would you not just take a bottle of bottled water and just kind of squirt it on your face why wouldn't that be good enough well one is because there's not a long enough flow and long enough flow meaning you know uh, under standard you need a continuous flow for 15 minutes and again that's to flush whether it's in the eyes or on the skin so uh, if you were around chemicals and let's say it got into your eye but it was on all over your skin um just 16 ounces is probably going to dilute it a little bit, but you're going to kind of still be in pain and you're going to be running around and probably fall. So the answer is really no. Okay. And when you when we start digging into that whole eye wash question, it becomes, well, 
where is what's hurting us at? Because we need to locate that eyewash. Uh, they, you want to put it at five, you know, I, there's rules of thumb of five second commute, no more than 50 feet to get to it. So um, it depends where your water source is because sometimes uh, you can plumb. So if you have pipes, you can plumb a eyewash station or uh, not necessarily an eyewash or it could be an eyewash and a shower station. Let's say you're dispensing chemicals and you're 20 feet from a water source, you can plumb a sort, you know, you can use just your regular water system to supply that. If you're outside of where that water source is, they have a lot of gravity fed systems which can either take cartridges or you can put water with an additive that keeps the water from, you know, turning into oil, you know, pee water at the uh, golf course, you know, you, you know, you go to the golf course and they have the blue water that kind of <laughs> yeah. keeps everything smelling fresh and good. Or that stuff that you like recycle your ball in. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, just to, just to keep it from stinking or whatever. Because <laughs> again, we're, we're putting that in our eyes and kind of washing off with it. So, you know, they make those additive type systems, gravity fed. I mean, we, we have one... Um, from Speakman that we love that uh, you pour a little, you know, you just basically fill it up with water, add your additive, and you have an eye wash that is compliant. Fair enough. All right. All right, question two. <coughs> Dave, somebody told me that you're not supposed to use sunscreen or bug spray when in conjunction with FR clothing. What do you think? Well, FR clothing, again, FR whether you say flame resistant, flame retardant, it doesn't matter what the hell it is, the keyword's flame. Right. And so when we talk about uh, bug spray, most bug spray will either be dispensed with some level of aerosol, which is flammable. I mean, any any dumbass kid that's over the age of 12 and has had a cigarette lighter and, you know, you know the, the can of uh, bug spray off, hairspray, what, whatever it is, is kind of proven that you know oh we, we, we have a flame and we have a you know we have fuel and if we put it together it creates more flame gotcha. obviously not not really a good thing um so a lot of your bug sprays are you know like deet deet is the only proven thing that i've read that will keep mosquitoes from biting you not vanilla uh that's all every every uh Everybody's got their stupid shit. <laughs> Not lemon juice uh, lemon or whatever. Lemon juice, skin so soft, vanilla. I mean, come on. I mean, v uh, no. In a lab, DEET, which is uh, uh, ethanol and diethyltoluene, is obviously very, again, just like the kid with his lighter, break DEET out and spray it. It's, it's uh, pretty, pretty cool. Large flames, large flames. This isn't just bro science? No, that's not just bro science. So basically, why would you put something that is a propellant or something that's flammable onto a garment that is meant to not uh, or to withstand flames? Because you're not going to have uh, probably not the end of the world, but you're putting something that's going to drive fire it that's already created in something that you're trying to protect yourself against. 
and sunscreen also is something that you know it's uh it's usually got some level of whether it's a natural oil base is it's got something in there that uh, can impregnate into the cloth or those FR materials and cause them to burn more. There are multiple products out there and whether it is a SunX product and most of them will denote that you can use them with FR. Right, that's something that they're going to let you know. Like yeah, yeah, they're pretty proud of their product because like, well, yeah. it probably costs more. Yeah, but gonna, they're pretty proud of their product that more, this works for FR clothing. But at least you know, Daddy's not going to come home with third degree burns. You know, and that's kind of a big again. The whole goal of this whole show is to make sure that Daddy don't come home with third degree burns. Yeah, especially you, like pasty guys like me. Yeah, you. Uh, you end up having to put that sunscreen on pretty your often. Little, so you, Your little baby man beard would not do real well against that. Nope. Nope. It's pretty cute. So, um, all right. Third question. Can I tie off at my feet? Absolutely. You can do whatever the hell you want this, you know, this planet. The problem is, is there, there's laws, regulations, and situations. Again, or we try to go home. Um, yes, you can tie off at your feet. But it gets into all this uh, world's full of a lot of rules. A little bit more than Ten Commandments, you know, 50,000 years ago. So now, since uh, the Edict of Knots and uh, all of our constitutional conference congresses, you know, we have a lot of rules and regulations. And one of them gets into ANSI versus OSHA. So when we get into fall arresting forces, one would say 1,800 pounds. The next guy says 900 pounds. And then everybody goes, so am I compliant? And we'll look at him and go, you want to be ANSI or OSHA compliant? I'd like to be OSHA compliant. Well, you need to be OSHA compliant. You need to be 1,800 pounds. Well, is it ANSI compliant? No, you're not ANSI compliant because that needs to be 900 pounds. So it it's one of these paradoxical things that comes back and forth. And at the end of the day, it depends which God you pray to ANSI or OSHA as to whether it's compliant because when we're tying off at our feet we're creating fall distances which create larger arresting forces so the short answer yes you can but that's a conjunction but and or and yet those are conjunctions so that means that yeah there's this yeah you can but, so there's a caveat, there's gotcha. something, something tied to that, is that you need to make sure that the system is designed to deal with uh, those arresting forces. Okay. But they do make products that are like, that you're able to tie off at your feet. Yes, they do. Yeah. Right. They make, but that's not an ideal... It's not an ideal situation. Again, anytime we can have an anchor point, we'd like it to be at our dorsal D-ring and directly above. Okay, what's special about like those types of products? Like, What makes a different, a lanyard okay that you can tie off at your feet but like versus one that you can't tie off at your feet? What do they um, do it, to like, those again, products? Again, it gets into those arresting forces. It's limiting the amount of force. Like you know, When we talked about the force that's going to our crotch, Right. It's limiting that force to the crotch or, you know, just kind of says the length that we're falling, the weight that we are, we are going towards a, a certain speed. So 
a shock absorbing lanyard. Okay. Has a shock pack that then, uh, when it deploys, it absorbs energy, and that energy is slowing us down. And it's kind of like you know, going back to the whole carnival thing. You know, you watch that you watch that little kid that's starting to run towards the uh, you know the ice cream cones. He's tied to mom. Yeah. Has a string with no shock absorber. Has the you know his little bear outfit on, and all of a sudden he just locks up. Oh Boom. god! Yeah, it takes me when I had a when we had our Great Dane. That was she'd be on a tie out in the backyard, and she'd see oh, a. Boy squirrel or a <laughs> rabbit or something like that and she would just take off eventually there was no shock pack it was just her neck would stay and her body would go yeah it, so that's the whole thing is a when we're talking about uh, tying off at our feet the shock absorber is built to absorb more force and the complex thing about that is when we start you know if if we ever get into fall distances and talking about that, is typically the shock pack is going to pull, deploy, uh, you know, your typical shock pack on a regular sh- uh, six foot liner is three and a half foot. It's it's longer than three and a half foot, so you you just need to make sure that you account for that so you don't just slow down just enough before you hit the ground. Okay. Cool. Well, I know fall protection's really from knowing you long enough fall protection is one of your favorite topics to speak on just because there's so many moving parts so much stuff that happens yeah, with it's interesting. it so. keep, gotta keep gotta keep away yeah stuff's changing stuff's moving everyone's got a different application so it's cool to look well, at you sit there and you, you go we have 1910 which is general industry we have 1926 which is uh construction um there's all kinds of different uh thought processes and ways that people do stuff that uh, you know, it's 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 all uh, it's an art and a science. Is there's a science between if I fall, I'm going to speed up towards the earth, and how am I going to stop before I hit? Okay, what was that? 1910, 1927. Yeah, we're all in. Boring. Anyways, um, all right. Quick favorite songs about falling. What you got? You got anything that comes to mind? Um. How about some Tom Petty? Cause I'm a free, a free <laughs> falling. <coughs> How about you? Gotta love some classic rock, man. What about uh, Alicia Keys? I don't even Do know who Alicia that? Keys is. You don't? No. It's just one of those things. I keep on falling oh my God. in yeah, love yeah. with yeah. you. <laughs> I, uh, you know, <coughs> you know Lifehouse? This took me back to like... Lifehouse? Yeah. Do you remember do you wow. know Lifehouse? This is like... Oh, yeah. Took me back to like college age. Yeah. They had the song, I'm falling even more in love oh, with yeah. you. Yeah. All right. That was a good one. Was, and how about your boy Johnny Cash? with your first girlfriend. Oh, yeah. That was, that was girlfriend number one. I had a buddy that I'm pretty sure that song like still make him tear up a little bit so got, that was like him and a girl's song that they yeah, broke up oh, with him okay, broke right his heart on. one was of those like his myspace shit <laughs> yeah um. yeah he probably played that on myspace for like weeks afterwards <laughs> yeah, right. that does lead me to you know what first how about johnny cash i fell into a burning ring of fire yeah that's a yeah. good that's a good okay. one anyways Gotta so back to the story about uh girl on myspace i had a buddy that 
he would listen to, or he had a girlfriend that the Aerosmith song that was, I don't want to miss a thing from Armageddon would come on. And that was him and his girls like song was that. And I don't want to miss a thing. Oh yeah. Well, when, so this is bad Aerosmith. Yeah. Terrible, like newer Aerosmith. But anyways, we had a Super Bowl party and Aerosmith performed at the halftime show. And so they, uh, this girl was there that had broke up with him and he was there at the same like Super Bowl party and Aerosmith was performing the halftime show and they started performing that song and he just is like Patrick Ewing at the free throw line like dripping sweat sitting there like clenching <laughs> like you poor bastard heartbroken <coughs> alright that's enough of that so that's it for us today that was episode 2 I think we were able to have some fun but really this is pretty super serious shit um, so we really appreciate you listening. As your reward for sticking it out with us, next week we'll be back with more safety we're gonna, stories. We're going to do a third one. We'll do a third one. The trace. So if you can't wait for more of Dave and Bacon's safety tales, you can visit the Quad City Safety blog on quadcitysafety.com or hit us up on any of our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, however you want to reach us. We'll be there for you. So please leave us comments, questions, any feedback on fall protection or any other safety issue. Really, whatever route works for you. Let's shine some light on this subject so we can avoid these stories that end in tragedy. That's what when I when I did the Miller fall protection training. What do you know? What's that? Do you know what the guy's name is? That's a big like Miller fall protection like expert. It was like the like old school guy. And it doesn't matter. Anyways, what he said like in the training was. And I'll do a real dry voice, but blood and guts wrote all these standards. <laughs> so all the standards that like come and happen, you're just telling us the only way that this stuff gets fixed is people got to get hurt. So if we can prevent as much as that possible by kind of like furthering this conversation, I think it's a good thing. Well, so, you know, Rose was uh, one of the original fall protection manufacturers and I was told this, and I don't know this to be specifically true, but when they started testing stuff, one of the ways that they found out that body belts were a bad idea was uh, dogs. So imagine them throwing dogs in these body belts and dropping them just to kind of see what the traumatic activity. Oh, good God. I mean, so can you imagine like a stack of Doberman pincers? Hey, well, like I said, that's it for I'm us. Sorry. That's it for us today. ASBACA, I'm sorry. Yeah, so we never think about this stuff. We never think it can happen to us until it's too late. So in the age of information, I'd say we can do better than that. So until next time, Dave and Bacon Safety Tales. We'll see you next time. Thanks. Thanks for listening in to Dave and Bacon Safety Tales, brought to you by Quad City Safety. Send us your questions on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter at Quad City Safety, hashtag Safety Tales, or email them to Fred at quadcitysafety.com. He's the guy keeping this mess of a show in line. And if you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. It's a kick-ass way to show that you care about safety.